Let's pray. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you. We're so grateful to you. You are so amazing, so wonderful. And you are so good all the time, every single day. Lord, I thank you for your presence here with us today. I thank you for your grace for us to embrace your word so that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers also. That we would hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying today. We would take it to heart and we would pursue the action that you require and that you challenge of us. So thank you, Father, for the distractions in our souls being quieted and that our ears are turned up so we can hear you clearly, hear what you are saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to share something that is on my heart, and I'm sure it's on the hearts of many of you guys as well. I'm going to talk about a topic that may not be very comfortable for some of you, but it is very needful. And it's definitely something that's on the heart of our Father. And that's the main reason why I'm sharing what I'm going to share today. As a matter of fact, I had another brother who was scheduled to preach today. But I feel like the Lord checked me and said, no, son, I want you to preach because I want you to deliver this message. And so I had to change, change dates with him because I feel like this is on the heart of God. And my request to you is that you would listen to me fully before you react, jump to any conclusions, judgments, or opinions. So I'm asking you to hear me out. The title of my message today is a sermon from an angry black man. And just so that we're clear, I am that angry black man. Just so you don't think I'm talking about somebody else. I want to start by sharing a story that happened to me about 35 years ago when I was around 13, 14. We were traveling, me and my brother, my mom and stepdad were traveling to Virginia, just like we did a couple weeks ago. Same highway, actually, I-40. We're traveling to Virginia and during one of the stops, we stopped at a gas station to use the restroom and to gas up. My uh, stepdad was gassing up the, the vehicle, and me and my brother and mom went to use the restroom. Then we came back, and then my dad went to use the restroom. And then we got in the vehicle, and we took off, and we're down, going down the road. And we were, it was a, uh, my stepdad had an Aries K station wagon. Some of you old enough know what those look like. Ugly cars. At the time, I guess they were cool, but these boxy-looking things where they were a smaller version of a station wagon, and in the back seat, face the back window. So you're sitting in the seat, and you're facing the back. So you're seeing where you used to be. <laughs> and so me and my brother are sitting in the back, messing around, I'm sure bugging each other. And all of a sudden, my mom happened to be driving, and all of a sudden, I noticed a highway patrol Either a highway patrol or a sheriff, I can't remember, but it was a, it was a police car or a, a law enforcement car. 
it was coming up, rushing up towards us. And then when it got to a certain distance, it slowed down and maintained our speed. So instead of coming all the way up to us, it got close to us, and then it maintained its speed. And I said, Mom, are you speeding? I said, there's a police behind us. And I thought, you know, he was going to get us because we were speeding. And she goes, well, it's too late now. He's got me. And this was back when the speed limit was 55, and she was doing 70 plus. (laughs) And so I just knew we were busted. But the interesting thing was, was the police didn't come up to us. Like I said, he just maintained his distance, and he was following us. And I said, he's following us. And she's like, well. And I said, Mom, you need to pull over. I said, no, when he tells me to pull over, I'll pull over. And so we just kept going. And this went on for a couple of minutes. And then all of a sudden, to my right, I see two other police, or I don't know if they were Ohio Patrol or sheriff's cars, whatever. I remember they were black cars, and they, they, were, they passed us that way, going the opposite direction. And then they turned around in a median, both of the cars, and they came towards us. And then all three vehicles turned their lights on. I said, Mom, how fast are you going? (laughs) So we had three police cars uh, chasing us or coming after us, and then they pull up to us. And then they turn their lights are on, and so then my mom pulls over. Now, I cannot remember if six or three, there were at least three, and possibly six officers jumped out of the cars. I can't remember that, that detail. But what I do remember, they came towards us, and they all had their guns drawn. And I'm thinking, dang, they are serious about their speed in this county. They all came to the car, and they had their guns pointed to the ground. And they told my parents very firmly, get out of the car. And so me and my brother are just about, my brother's freaking out. Of course, I'm calm and cool because I'm a 13-year-old. <laughs> I'm panicking inside. And they get out of the car. And my dad's on the passenger side. My mom's on the driver's side. And when they get out, they begin to, they grab my dad, my stepdad, and they begin to frisk him. Now, those of you who know my mom would appreciate this, but as the officer was approaching my mom to frisk her, she said, don't you touch me. And he didn't. (laughs) And if you knew my mom, you wouldn't either. (laughs) But in the and. Then my dad, my stepdad said, what's going on? I mean, what's, what's going on? And I'm going to say this. They made it clear that they were pulled over because they were black. Now, 35 years later, which is to our present time, and ironically on the same stretch of highway... A couple of weeks ago, we're coming back west to Oklahoma from Virginia, and we walk into one of the lobbies of the hotels that we're staying in, and over the large screen TVs that are displayed in the lobby, we see not one but two stories, two more stories of black men being killed. And then the next night, we go out to dinner, we come into the lobby of the next hotel that we're staying in, and then we see blared, blasted all over the TV stories of several police officers who were shot and five of them killed. It's like, this is insane. This is crazy. I was very saddened, frustrated. 
And I've been, even at times, become very discouraged from all that's going on in our nation. As I'm sure some of you are as well. But that is not why I'm angry. What I saw on the TVs those last few days is not why I'm angry. I'm angry because believers are being influenced and manipulated by the enemy. I'm angry because the enemy has unleashed a very clever and well-crafted plan, and through fear, hatred, and anger, he's causing the death and destruction of many people, and mostly in part because many of us are cooperating with and participating in his plan, we are causing it to grow and be even very more successful. Satan, the accuser, is doing what he does best. He accuses, he causes division, he instigates strife, and he destroys. Born-again men and women, unknowingly, are falling right into his trap, and his plan is being executed with perfection. That's why I'm angry. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12 in the New King James Version. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the strategy of the devil. Whose strategies are we fighting? Are we to be prepared for? Whose strategies? The devil's. So we're to be strong and put on the full armor. For this reason, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The enemy is not flesh and blood. And we see that he has wiles or schemes or strategies, and he, has en- he is enacting them. He is... He is having those play out. And the Bible tells us to be strong in the Lord, to put on the armor for this reason. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Who's working in the sons of disobedience? The prince of the power of the air. He's working in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So we see who is influencing people. Who is the prince in the power of the air? Who is ruler over this, over this world system? He's the one who's causing problems, who's wreaking havoc, whose plan is being enacted. Revelations, uh, excuse me, Revelations 12, verse 9 through 11, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. 
who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. The accuser of the brethren. Satan is known as the accuser. What does he do? He accuses people. And as I've been thinking about what's been happening, I, I, I came up with this, this silly illustration. Everybody say silly illustration. Because to me, this illustration kind of gives a picture of what's, what's going on. Has any, now I'm sure many of us have, have either been part of this scenario or we've seen this scenario where you, let's say you have two guys standing close to each other, but they're not necessarily facing each other. They're aware of each other's presence, but they're not actually looking at each other. And so they're just standing there minding their own business. And all of a sudden, a third guy comes up behind them. And he smacks this guy on the side of his head, and then kind of backs away over like this. And he does it in such a way where this guy thinks that this guy's the one that hit him. So then he turns and looks at him and says, what is your problem? And then he punches him in the face. And the guy says, you did what? And so they get in this big scuffle. And then the guy who started the whole thing is standing on the sidelines saying, ooh, ooh, dude, you going to let him do that to you? Man, I wouldn't let him mess with me like that. And then they're just, the two guys fighting just getting angrier and angrier. And then one even kills the other. And the guy on the sidelines just laughing. Just laughing. See, the fight wasn't between these two. It wasn't started between these two. It was instigated by a third party. But these two are going after each other. And the enemy is just laughing his head off. That's what I see happening. And that's why I'm angry. And my prayer is that you're going to be angry with me by the time I'm finished, but not for the reason that many in the nation are angry. Because we have our eyes on the wrong enemy. And as long as our eyes stay on the wrong enemy, then there's going to be more and more and more hatred, more and more division, more and more destruction, more and more killing. Before we start our worship this morning, I got an alert on my phone. I'm, I have a, a News Channel 9 app, and I got an alert on the phone that there are two more police killed this morning. I don't know any details. Don't know if it was uh, they were in, you know, dealing with perpetrators or whatever. Don't know. But you can imagine what my first thoughts were, black on white. It's like this is madness. Are we going to continue to participate in the enemy's plan and be a part of the hatred, resentment, and the choosing of sides? Or are we going to be a part of the solution? See, that's the choice we do have. We can be a part of the solution instead of adding to the problem. We have an opportunity to be the light that the world needs because it's getting pretty dark. Would you guys agree with that? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Why would that be important? A light is important in a dark place. If it's bright outside and you have a light, the light's going to be very insignificant. But when it's dark and you have a light, that light is very significant. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He didn't say, I'm the light of the world. He says, you're the light of the world. The Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of this world is Jesus shining through you. 
And see, I'm not talking to the world right now. I'm talking to born-again believers. I'm talking, to, I'm talking to people who love Jesus and who have allowed the love of Jesus to come inside of us and change us. That's who I'm talking to this morning. Because I don't know if non-believers could understand this message. Do you realize that in 2016, to this day, Sunday is still the most segregated day of the week? Did you know that? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we play together, we work together, we go to school together, we play at the playgrounds together, we go to the amusement parks together, we do all those things integratedly, but on Sunday, we all go to our own churches. We go to the black churches or the white churches or the Indian churches, or the Chinese churches, or whatever. We all go to our corners, our separate little places. Why is that? I have no idea. I have no idea. And the one thing I'm excited about is here at New Covenant Fellowship has been laid an amazing opportunity. Now, I can't prove this out yet. I mean, I don't know this for a fact because I haven't studied it out or investigated. But just from what I do know, I'm willing to say that New Covenant Fellowship is either the most integrated church in Stillwater or one of the most integrated churches in Stillwater. You white people are not supposed to be here this morning. Or you black people are not supposed to be here this morning. (laughs) But you are all here. You are defying statistics. You are defying what's normal. So let's take it a step further. Let's take it a step further. There's a wonderful grace here. And you know what's amazing? That, that one thing I hear from visitors, and many of you who used to be visitors, but now you've been here for a while, the common theme, the common thread that I hear from people is how they feel loved and accepted here. They don't, they don't rant and rave about the preaching. <laughs> but about how you make them feel. And see, that's amazing, because that shouldn't statistically be happening, but it is happening. I love this church. I love you people. But I also love the people out there, and they're hurting, they're killing each other, they're hating each other. Don't know how to get along. There's a lot of anger on both sides, if I have to say sides. And for the conversation today, I'm going to say sides, because you all know what I'm talking about. But there's too much madness going on. And the Holy Spirit is inviting us to make a difference. He's inviting us to make a difference. See, I know it gets uncomfortable when we talk about this race thing. We talk about black and white. We get uncomfortable. 
But I'd rather be uncomfortable in here and then do what we need to out there than stay in here and be comfortable and pretend like everything's okay and let the world die and go to hell. So if we need to be uncomfortable for a few moments, let's do that, okay? And let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us, challenge us, convict us, give us instruction, because we are his answer to the world. We are his answer. He, he invested everything in you, everything in you. It's like the Father and Jesus. Now, of course, this is silly, so don't build any theological thing on this. It's like the Father and Jesus were talking. And the Father says, man, it looks pretty bad down there, Jesus. What's your plan? And he says, you see those people right there? He says, yeah. They're my plan. Then the Father says, are you sure that's going to work? He says, well, I'm giving everything for it to work. You are his plan. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of participating in the plan of the enemy, and I'm ready to participate in the plan of Jesus. This early last week, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was kind of funny, ironic that we get home Friday night of last week, not this Friday, but the Friday before, <clears throat> and this is right in the midst of all the things, the recent events that have been happening, and Saturday morning I have to go to a funeral. I'm not a part of the funeral. I'm not doing the funeral, but I'm just going to support my brother who, who lost his father-in-law, and so I'm late for the funeral. I'm a few minutes late, and so I'm going just a little bit faster than I should be, I do not recommend that, by the way. And I came over, I was going on Yost Road, speed limit's 45, I was doing 52, or, no, I was doing 50-something, let's just say that. <laughs> I come over the hill, and there's a, there's a uh, highway patrol sitting right there. I'm like, <gasps> <gasps> woo, <laughs> doggone it. I pull over. And I can promise you this, I had my hands in plain sight. An officer came up to me and he said, um, he said, I clocked you doing 50 something in a 45 mile an hour zone. I said, yes, sir. I was definitely speeding. I said, I'm sorry. No excuses. I'm late for a funeral. You know, kind of throw that out there. Just maybe hoping some grace will fall down. (laughs) And I said, um, I said, I know that's no excuse explain my excuse. And he said, he said, I understand that, but I will hurry so you can be on your way. Very pleasant, smiling at me. I didn't feel threatened in any way. He went back and did what he did, came back and he said, sir, I'm only going to give you a warning today. He says, be careful and something else. And I went on my way. I just want to throw that out there. I've been stopped by police twice. Actually, highway patrols both times. Totally innocent both times. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
speeding both times because I was late to something. And both times, my experience here in Payne County, I was greeted with respect and dignity. And I'm happy because I didn't get a ticket either time. I just want to throw that out there. I asked the Lord, anyway, the point I was getting to until I got sidetracked was I was asking the Lord because I was, I can't describe to you the, the gamut of emotions I was feeling last week when all this stuff was going on. I was, I was going from anger to frustration to I can't believe this to are you serious and just all this gamut of emotions. And then I made the mistake of trying to find some facts. What's really, what's really going on? Not the fluff, but what's going on? And so I turned to CNN. I turned to Fox. I turned to MSNBC. There you guys already see the futility of. And as I was watching stuff, I was becoming more and more angry and frustrated. Do you know why? Because the sources I was watching and listening to were infuriating me and causing me to want to become more polarized. Causing me like to become angry. I remember this one guy was, you know, they showed one of the, you know, the killings or, or whatever. And then this guy has a panel of two other professional, whoever they were. And then the, the host starts asking leading questions. Isn't it something that this guy, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And I realize that all these shows, all this propaganda, all this stuff to influence me either one way or another way. Not bringing about a solution. What do we do about this? What, what's the answer? But it's like, look at this. Look at these racists. Or look at this. Look at these racists. Look at this craziness that's going on. And then they'll have some crazy people on TV supposedly representing a group. And that crazy person like, are you serious? You're putting him or her up there to represent us? It's just craziness. So I was getting, I was becoming more and more frustrated, agitated. And then I did the Christian thing. I started praying. After all those other things didn't work. But I started praying. I started praying in tongues. And I started praying and praying and praying and praying. And here's something interesting that began to happen inside of me. What I realized is my first reaction was a soulless reaction to what was going on. I was reacting. My buttons of anger were being pushed. All these buttons were being pushed, and I was reacting. When I began to pray, all of a sudden my internal being shifted. And here's what I started doing. I started calling out and releasing forgiveness. I said, Father, those, the, the police officers that, that shot and killed these young men, I release forgiveness to them. The man who killed the police officers, I release forgiveness. And I just started releasing forgiveness. That's what just started coming up out of me. And then guess what happened as a result of that? The peace inside of me began to overwhelm the anxiety. I began to become more calm, I believe, because I was beginning to see things from his perspective and not from my reaction. And then I said, Lord, do you have an answer for this? He said, I'm glad you asked. Ephesians chapter, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians chapter 2. Now I'm going to read three passages out of Philippians, but I'm going to use three different translations because they bring out some things that I want brought out. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to be reading out of the Message Bible for the first part, New King James, and then NIV. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, I love the way he said it, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. So it's like, has Christ made a difference in you? Has his love changed you? then here's what I want you to do. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, which is humility, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. And then in your relationships with one another, now this is interesting, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. It says, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus is our example, and we see what he did. He emptied himself. When he came to this planet, he could have come as the powerful king. He could have snapped his fingers, done whatever he wants, and guess what? We would have all bowed down, and there would not have been any crucifixion, I guarantee it. Since he emptied himself, his deity and all that, well, he, 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 he was still deity. He was still who he was. He was still God. But he emptied all his rights. He put that all down so that he could relate to us. He humbled himself. The most powerful one in the universe humbled himself before men. Are you kidding me? Talk about Crazy. You know, and Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, so saying these things, I'm going to share five things that we can do to be part of the solution and not continue to instigate the problem. Number one, we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. The Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we want the grace of God to flow into our lives, we have to humble ourselves to be recipients of his grace. And if we humble ourselves, we're going to receive his grace. We have to humble ourselves before each other. Are you with me? It has to stop being about me. See, a lot of things that are happening are people are angry, so they're trying to come together Neither one of them, neither side is humbling themselves, and so then there's this clash, and then the anger escalates, and then there's more destruction. There's more arguing, more bickering, more polarization. And so we say, well, who's going to humble themselves first? Who should humble themselves first? This side or this side? Here's the answer. 
Whichever side sees themselves as the most spiritual. We have to humble ourselves. It has to stop being about me. And check this out. We have to quit focusing on being right. See, that right there is a big problem. We're focusing on being right. We want to get our information to prove our point. I found this survey right here. I found these statistics, and I'm going to throw it at the other person and say, look at this. See, this proves what I've been trying to say all along. We're so focused on being right. It's not just listening for information that agrees with us so we can have more ammunition to fight with. And that's what I see happening. We're using, we listen to the media, but we listen to the media that we already agree with. (laughs) And so then they say something, I'm like, ooh, that's good. And so I have this new wealth of information, and then when I'm in the right situation, I can throw it at the other person. And I use it as weapons, or I use it as ammunition. We need to start hearing both sides of the story and be willing to listen to information that we may not agree with for the purpose of finding out the truth of the matter, even if we don't like or agree with it. So when I humble myself, then my heart's going to say, Lord, I want to know the truth so I can respond accordingly, even if I don't like the truth. See, if I believe something wholeheartedly, My tendency is when there's information coming towards me that will challenge this, I'll tend to, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And I see that happening too often. We just want to be right. We just want to hold on to what we agree with. You know, in Proverbs, it says spouting off, Proverbs 18, 13, it says spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Proverbs 18, 17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other one comes and examines him. You ever heard a situation where someone says, This is what happened? And you're like, Ooh, guilty. And then the other party comes and counters that, and it's like, Whoa, wait a minute. No, guilty. See, what's happening is we are a, we are a very reactionary society. And especially with cell phones and, and all this technology, things are, are blasted right before us, right there. And what happens is we're making a react, we're reacting to what we're seeing without investigating and seeing what's really going on. What's really going on? I mean, the Bible says the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And it says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. We have to get in the habit of listening to both sides. We have to. Too many times people are making judgments and they they fully become entrenched in what they believe when they hear one side of evidence. We form opinions. And it's, it's fact. It becomes fact in our minds. It's just the way it is. Getting back to that story that I shared that happened to me back in about 35 years ago. We got pulled over. Guns were pointed. My stepdad was being frisked. My mom said, don't touch me. They didn't. Situation is tense. Matter of fact, one of the police officers, he begins to search the car. That me and my brother are still in. They, my parents get out, but we're still in the car. 
Police officer comes in and begins to search the car. He looks up at us and says, how are you boys doing this morning? Fine. And I told you that it was evident and made clear by the officers that they were pulled over because they were black. And that is true. However, what I didn't tell you, which I'm about to tell you now, is that when they talked to the officers and was communicating about the situation, my dad said, what's going on? The police officers gruffly said, you didn't pay for the gas. He says, what? You didn't pay for the gas. Remember when we stopped at the gas station and got gas? My dad got the gas. My mom used the bathroom. They switched places. He went to use the bathroom. She came out. They thought each other paid for the gas. So that was the situation that got their attention. But here's another fact that I failed to mention the first time. There was a black couple in the area who was armed and dangerous and who were robbing and stealing gasoline. (laughs) It kind of changes things, doesn't it? Now, nothing changed... But in your thinking, it changed. Just because you were given a little bit more evidence or a little more information. Now, I didn't lie to you the first time. I told you something, and it was, the reason they got pulled over was because they were black and white. They were, excuse me, because they were black. They were, but they got pulled over because they were black and resembled a couple that they were looking for. See, if they were white, they wouldn't have got pulled over. Well, I'll take that back. They didn't pay for the gas. <laughs> Fortunately, my stepdad had been keeping record of uh, how much gas he got, how much he paid for it, mileage, and all that kind of stuff. He had a ledger. And so he was able to show that to the police officers to show them that they were thinking, okay. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily that they, they looked like the couple, but they just, there was a lot of reason for the police to be cautious. So we... Uh, They say, okay, we need to talk to the judge about this. Fortunately, it was still before 5 o'clock. Otherwise, they might have been in jail. We might have been orphans. That's what me and my brother were thinking, you know. (laughs) My brother was crying. I'm like, why are you crying? We're going to go to an orphanage. (laughs) I mean, the poor kid was just losing it. (laughs) He was sincerely scared. So fortunately, we go to the court. Now, this is a, I don't know where we were on I-4. I don't know if we were in Arkansas or Tennessee. But the town we were in was very small. And I didn't see too many black people around. But the judge listened to their story, believed them, and let us go. We went on about our business and and then we had something fun to laugh about and talk about. But my point is, we need to make sure we get all the facts before we form a decision, before we form an opinion or make a judgment. Remember years ago, I came to church. I was going to preach that Sunday, and I came to church, and I had dressed down. I mean, not just wearing jeans and stuff and a nice shirt, but I dressed down. I was wearing jeans that I cut grass in and a t-shirt that probably had stains on it, and I wore shoes that I used to cut my grass. And I came to church like that on purpose, and I had a devious plan. (laughs) 
And as I was hanging out in the hallway and talking to people, one guy said to me, he looked at me, he eyed me, looked, looked me up and down and said, well, we know you're not preaching today. <laughs> I just looked at him and smiled. <laughs> this sermon's going to be easy today. And then a number of people in the congregation, uh, in the hallway, they made comments about my attire. You know, man, you must have had a laundry accident. Did your washing machine break down? You know, all these comments. And I don't remember the whole point of my, my story or the sermon everything other than, actually I do, it was out of James. You know how when James it talks about when, when the man comes in wearing gold rings and everything, how we say, oh, you come and sit up here. And then the other man comes in in rags and very lowly, and we have them sit at our feet. In other words, we look at people, how they, they appear, and then we treat them accordingly. And I was proving that point. People looked at me and assumed certain things that weren't even true. But if they're thinking, especially the, the man who said, well, we know you're not preaching today, you should have seen the look on his face when I got up here, because I was looking at him. <laughs> See me? See me? We are so quick to form judgments. I'll tell you one more. I had a, a friend who was the best friend of mine. We, we were roommates in college. And he would say, and we would get in these debates and, and just topics and talk and everything. And, and I'd say stuff like, all of us have racism in us or we're all prejudiced at certain levels and that kind of thing. And he would say, I'm not, I don't have a prejudice bone in my body, blah, blah, blah. So we'd get in these debates and, and not arguments, but just bantering back and forth. Remember one time he and I pulled up. He was driving his truck. We pulled up to a gas station in Oklahoma City. And we were, we pulled up at the gas island to get gas. And we were walking away from the truck. The truck was unlocked and had stuff in it. And this, this white guy pulled up. Because I noticed him. And I'm still going. And then my friend notices and he's still going. And then another vehicle pulls up. Two black guys are in the truck, in that vehicle. What does he do? He stops, turns around, goes back to his truck, and he locks the doors. So then he comes back to me, and I'm standing there, and I said, what was that about? He said, what? I said, why'd you lock the truck? He said, oh, because I forgot to lock it the first time. No. No. And so we begin to have this, this dialogue, and he, when he was honest. He recognized that he didn't even realize what he was doing. He didn't realize it until I brought it out. And so the point is, we can either react or we can respond. Soulish reactions or godly response. But number one, we have to humble ourselves. It can't be about us anymore. Number two, we must empathize with others. Remember, Jesus says, do not look after your own interests, but also the interests of others. We need to get in each other's shoes. Empathize. Instead of holding my position and being angry and shooting bullets towards you, need to come to you and say, man, what's going on? How are you feeling? You know, tell me about your experiences. Let's understand each other. Empathize with each other. Listen to the other person with an open heart. Listen without reacting. Even if you don't agree 
with what they're saying? Can we let the other side or the other person share their hearts without me reacting? Saying, that is not true. That's a bunch of... And see, that's what's happening. Instead of, instead of arguing, let's listen to the person. Emotionally put yourself in their shoes. You know, one thing I began to do is when I was praying earlier when I was being crazy, and then I decided to pray, and everything started changing inside of me, I started thinking, I felt like Jesus was encouraging me about empathy. So I started imagine, imagining the, uh, the wife or the little girl who, I don't know if that's her father or not, uh, Castile, I'm getting them mixed up, Philando, Philan- is that the right one? When he got shot, I was imagining what was that lady and that child going through? And then thinking about the family around them, and then the police officers who were gunned down. Think about the wives, the, the sons and daughters whose daddy is not coming home. I began to put myself in their shoes and begin to think, man, what must they feel like? And my heart began to change. We need to be empathetic towards one another. Number three. Now, number three, if this one doesn't happen, then the first two aren't going to happen. Number three is we must walk in forgiveness. We have to be people that know how to, and we regularly walk in forgiveness. You know, yesterday I had a situation happen, and and I'm not talking about forgiveness for the big, big things, the life-shattering, horrendous things. No, those two. But if we don't practice it in the everyday little things, then we're not going to be able to do it when the big things come. See, when someone offends me in a small way, there's a, a certain amount of grace that comes. I grab a hold of that grace, apply it, and I'm good. The bigger the offense, the more grace I receive to deal with that. No offense is bigger than his grace. Yesterday, I went to the store to get, get some groceries for my wife because she has some excuse that she can't. Anyway, so I go in the store, and I grab... I grab, you know, a box of groceries, go into Aldi, get all these groceries. And there was a lady in front of me, and she had a bunch of stuff. And so I'm thinking, okay, she's going to be a while. So I leave my cart right there in line, and I dart over to the ice cream thing. And then I grab the ice cream, and I come back, and I notice the lady behind me had pulled her, her cart in front of me. Yeah, uh-huh. That's what I'm talking about. And it was so funny because she would not look at me. And it was a good thing she did not look at me. Because we might have had a situation. But anyway, so she, she, and I'm like, seriously? And see, now I had, I had six items. She had a whole basket full of items. She had more items than the lady in front of her. I'm like, are you serious? Are, are you serious? I was thinking all kinds of unhappy thoughts at that moment. And see, then, then I wanted to make this a race thing. Oh, oh, it's because I'm black, right? No, that, that wasn't it. But I was frustrated. I'm like, come on, lady, seriously? And it was funny because I was trying to somehow will her to see my little bitty box of six items. And for her to say, oh, you only have six items? Oh, I'm so sorry. Here, why don't you go in ahead of me? That's what I was hoping would happen. It didn't happen. So I had to wait. 
you know, wait an extra three minutes, I'm sure. I mean, life was crazy. And so when I go out and get in the car, I don't say anything this to my wife. And, and that frustration is just going in my head. And I recognize this. I recognize that my soul is grabbing a hold of this. It's wanting to feed on this thing. And this little thing was about to become bigger. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, really? Are you serious? I said, no, no. I said, Father, I forgive that lady. I just release her and just forgive her. Immediately, it's gone. Gone. Now, that, that's so trivial. But that thing could have grabbed a hold of my soul and no telling where things would have gone. We have to be people who know how to forgive. See, what's happening, the, why there's so much anger going on and, and just, just violence and everything, because a lot of people are angry. They've been hurt. They've experienced some real situations. But there's grace available to forgive. See, all of us, many of us have experienced some very horrendous challenges, things that have happened to us. You can choose to be a victim and be and stay in that emotional state of brokenness your whole life. Or you can grab a hold of the grace that the Holy Spirit makes available and release forgiveness and be free. And remember, I'm not talking to the world out there because this doesn't make sense to them. I'm talking to born-again people who love Jesus. We have to forgive. We have to forgive. This gets rid of the emotional hook that Satan uses to yank me around. See, if I have bitterness, if someone, if I've experienced some racism, I mean, in, in, a, in a real harsh way that really affected me, then whenever I see that happening, that anger and that rage is going to come up. And I'm not going to have any desire to be a part of the solution. I'm going to want to fight. But if I receive the grace, release that forgiveness, that doesn't mean all the pain is going to go away, but I'm not going to be yanked around by Satan every time something like that happens. I mean, you hear what I'm saying? We have to forgive. Number four, we must communicate with each other. Let's stop assuming what the other person thinks or let's stop assuming we know how they feel and let's start asking. Let's start asking. What I'm talking about, let's be, let's be real. As Leah says, I'm just being real. Let's be real. White people, let's talk to black folks. Black folks, let's talk to white folks. Let's talk to each other. See, man, how, all this stuff that's going on, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on? And let's talk and listen to each other. And we have more of an opportunity in our church than most churches have. I would encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. Because at least we know here we have people that love Jesus. And see, because if we get to hear each other, you know, we have brothers, sisters in this congregation who have experienced some very serious life-threatening, almost lose-your-life kind of racism. I mean serious. I talked to a pastor not too long ago 
who was either brought up in Alabama or Mississippi. I can't remember which one because he was in both. And just hearing him share stories, I'm like, wow. Wow. And every time I'm around this man, I was telling my wife yesterday, every time I'm around this man, my love and adoration for him just keeps going up and up and up. Because when he talks, he doesn't sound like an angry, bitter man. He just shares it as, a, as matter of factly and everything, but he's a very humble and gracious man. And it makes me want to be around him more. I want to learn from him. This guy's been through it, but yet he still has a love for people. I mean, he's a pastor, and he loves people, black and white. So I want to encourage you, let's communicate, let's talk. Especially now that, that the world is really, this is an issue right now to the forefront. Let's don't hide, let's don't be afraid and, and go bare our heads and hope it goes away. Because if we do not deal with this situation in the correct way, it's not going to go away. I can promise you that it's not going to go away. The enemy wants this to happen. He wants the destruction. He wants the segregation. He wants the polarization of sides and wars and rumors of wars and race fighting against race. But we can be a part of the solution. And number five, so number four, we must communicate with each other. And number five, look for opportunities to engage our community with these issues and challenges. Let's not just stay in the church and be comfortable in here. We have a community out there who needs you guys. We have a university campus that needs your influence. Stillwater, Payne County needs us who are born again, spirit-filled Christians, people who love Jesus. We are the light of the world. They need that light. And if we can learn how and get over our uncomfortables and learn how to dialogue with each other and talk and and pray for one another and, and deal with this here, then we can be an example for people out there. So look for opportunities to engage in your community. Talk to people of a different color at work or school. Participate in community opportunities. And I know right now you're saying, do you know of any such opportunities right now that I can participate in? Yes, I'm so glad you asked. There's one tomorrow, matter of fact. The Office of Multicultural Affairs at OSU is sponsoring a Black Lives Matter panel discussion tomorrow at OSU in the French Lounge, room 270, from 230 to 2. What it is, they have a panel of people. They're going to ask them questions, and then they're going to have questions from the, from the congregation or the audience. And we're just going to talk about this on a local level. What's going on here in Stillwater? What's this like? What do we do? What, how do we get along? Whatever. I don't know what all the questions are. But it's an opportunity and I'm encouraging you. I'm going to be there. Matter of fact, I'm participating in this. First time I've done something like this. And it was so funny because someone asked me, would you do this? And my first response was, I need an excuse not to. Because I didn't want to participate in something that was possibly controversial or, you know, I'm a pastor. I got to be careful and all this kind of stuff. And, and I don't know about all that. And then I replied to her and I said, well, I'll tell you what. If you can uh, give me a call tomorrow, before I say yes, give me a call tomorrow. I'm going to ask you some questions, and then I'll let you know my answer. Her reply was, thank you so much for agreeing to participate on the panel. (laughs) And it was funny because I was praying and saying, Lord, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do this? I'll do it if you want me to. I don't want to do it if you don't want me to. You know, I was sincerely asking them. 
When I got the email, I said, okay, Lord, I guess you want me to. So I'm going to be there. And you know what? I'm excited. I have no idea what's going to happen. No idea. But I'm excited about the opportunity of what can happen. I'm excited about the possibility of heaven being unleashed in this community. See, we talk about revival while we're here in church and we all agree with each other and worship Jesus. But what about out there in the community where people are dying and people don't have answers and they need a light? They need someone to give them something, other, something else to think about. Hmm, I never thought of that before. So I want to invite you tomorrow, 1230 to 2, room 270, French Lounge, Student Union, come out and just check it out. I'm really hoping it's not just a bunch of black people there. I'm really hoping. <laughs> Amen. And I'm being serious. I'm being funny, but serious at the same time. I'm really hoping all my brothers and sisters of all shades of color will be there with me tomorrow. Amen. Amen? Right. Let's stand together. So I hope by now, I'm not the only one in this room angry, but my prayer is that we're angry about the same thing, that the enemy is causing problems, and we've been allowing and participating in his scheme, and we're saying, no more. I will no longer participate in what he's doing, and I will participate with what heaven's doing. I just want to pray over this family right now. If you close your eyes with me. Lord, I do thank you. You're so amazing. You're so awesome. You're so wonderful. Lord, none of this has caught you by surprise. You're not worried. You're not fretting. You're not wringing your hands. I believe, Lord, you're waiting to unleash your plan. You're looking for people who will agree and cooperate with you and say, yes, Lord, here am I. I'm willing to step up, step out, to do whatever you would have me do, to allow Jesus to shine through me, regardless of how uncomfortable it is, regardless of how little I know about the issues or this issue. But Lord, I'm willing to be a part of the solution. I'm willing to love people. Even if I don't know what to say, don't know what to do, I can do this. I can love people. I will allow you to love people through me. And Father, I thank you for the grace that is already in this house, that is already in this family, for the love that we have for one another. I pray as a result what the enemy meant for bad, for harm, for evil, I pray that what's going out there will cause us to go to another level of relationship with each other. I pray that we'll say, you know what, I've been thinking about this for a long time and I've been afraid to ask or talk, but I'm ready. Let's talk about this. And I just thank you for that grace that is released. And I thank you for the light that's going to shine through us like it never has before. We love you and we thank you, Father. And I just declare your freedom over this congregation. I declare your freedom and forgiveness. I thank you that we're, we are releasing forgiveness to the people who have hurt us, who have, who have done harm to us emotionally, physically. We release that forgiveness towards them, Father, right now in Jesus' name. We release forgiveness to all those right now in this country who are doing evil things against each other. We release forgiveness into this community. And we thank you, Father, that you're so good. We give you honor and praise. 
In Jesus' name, amen.